Hi friends, and welcome to the Be Nourished podcast, where we talk about the nourishing things in life, relationships, food, jobs, dreams, and everything in between. So my friend Carly joins me in the podcast, and I will say, I actually recorded this episode um, surrounded by boxes. We were literally moving the next day, moving all of our stuff. And so throughout the entire time we're talking, you are going to hear my dog trying to get in. She was outside, um, but she knows how to jump up on the door and hit the handle. And if it's unlocked, she can get in, but obviously it was locked. So the entire time we're talking, you will hear her trying to get in. So I apologize for that, but there was nowhere else for me to record because our stuff was all packed up. But anyway, Carly joins me and we talk about navigating the 20s. She does an awesome job of talking about her experience of going through um, a path that she kind of knew and then also dealing with her path changing and what it's like to say no to something or have to let something go in order to get something else, which I think is actually really hard. And so we talked a little bit about that experience and what we have experienced through that. And so Carly is such a dear friend of mine. I just love her heart and I just love her willingness to share what it's like to kind of have to grieve something and change paths, but how it's inevitably a good thing. So hope you enjoy. So hi, Carly. Welcome to the podcast. Hello. Thanks for having me. I'm so happy you're here. This is very (laughs) exciting for me. Okay. So start off by introducing yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My name is Carly Brandbold. I live in Nashville, Tennessee, and I've been here for about eight years, so I call it home now, Mm -hmm. and I work as a kids pastor at Ethos Church here in town. Mm -hmm. Uh, So good at it, too. Say that again? You're so good at it, too. (laughs) Thank you. Um, I'm I'm originally from Florida, so the beach is Mm. basically always on my mind. Yep. And I'm always scheming to figure out how I can get to the beach. That's right. <laughs> I don't blame you. Uh, yeah. So I, I uh, that's a big, a big part of who I am. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, I love the beach. I love to read. I love football. Mm-hmm. Um, and those are like the, probably the three things, the three most important things about me. You know what I'll say? I have two friends in my life and you're one of them. The other is Holly, my friend Holly. You, I can always tell when I'm talking to you that you are listening. And that is a really big deal to me because I don't know if I've ever told you this and here we are telling you now, but I have, I have lots of great friends and they're all very good listeners, but you like, I can just tell that when I'm talking to you, you are listening, like really listening. And that's a big deal to me. So thank you for being that way because I was just thinking as you were describing yourself, how I would have described you. And I just, that was the first thing that popped in my head. I just think you're a really good listener, which is super important, especially when you're working with kids, you know, you, they're always talking about something so I just think that's really special that's so kind thank you it's funny that you say that because I actually think the opposite of myself (laughs) Uh, (laughs) you know that you know that like uh like phrase of like when you're listening and you're not really listening you're just thinking of what you're going to say next Uh I find myself doing that all the time so funny I'm like constantly like trying to, I, I'm trying to get better at it, but I will literally be in conversations with someone and they'll be talking and I'll be forming my next sentence. And it's like, I'll hear this little voice in my head go, Carly, stop doing that. <laughs> Just listen. <laughs> That's hilarious. Well, you play it off well, so, I'm telling you. Thank you for saying that because <laughs> I, 
I don't feel like I am, but I feel like I'm getting better. <laughs> well, I feel like you're a good listener. Maybe it's because I feel like you ask good questions. You ask like clarifying questions about whatever it is we're talking about, and that may, always makes me feel like somebody really legitimately wants to hear what I have to say, and I just love that. I think that's so important. I try to be like that, not just as a therapist, but like as a human person. So when I find someone who I feel like does that too, I'm like, oh, hi, welcome. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. I, it's, I'm, I'm learning. I think one of the most powerful things we can do as people is listen. Yes. And I think when we look at the ministry of Jesus and, and the life of Jesus, it's a life of these moments thrown together where Jesus listened to the yeah. people around him really well. Mm-hmm. Totally. So, getting better every day. I love it. But thank you. Thank yeah, you for it's true. Putting that out, that's sweet. So, did you get, okay, so did you get from Florida to Nashville for school, or what brought you to Nashville? Yeah, that's a great question. So, um, <laughs> when I was in ninth grade, I was in high school, my family took a vacation to Nashville. So, this was back before long before it like boomed to mm-hmm. the city that it is today. No one really vacationed to Nashville. Right. But we had um, some family friends here that we were going to come visit. And I, we had a blast and we had the best time. And I remember sitting on the airplane going home thinking to myself, well, I'm going to go to college in Nashville. Oh. And I had no idea like what that would look like or what my options would be. But I just sort of knew like, this is where I'm moving. I, wow. I, for as much as I love the beach, I had to get away from the heat. Yeah. That Florida heat is something is else. Next level. Yes. And so I, I wanted to go to a place where I could experience all four seasons. Mm. And I didn't want to go too far from home because my family was still there. And so I, long story short, uh, through some sort of God moments and, and unique connections, I found out about Lipscomb. And I moved here to go to Lipscomb, so that's gotcha. why I got here, and then I've stayed, mm-hmm. and I hear that's what happens to most people when they <laughs> move to Nashville for school. <laughs> yep. So I guess you, you probably moved during the time that it really, like, blew up, right? Cause... Probably, I think, like, right before. Okay. I moved to Nashville in 2012. Okay, yeah. Um, and it was, like, right before... Like, like 12 South wasn't really a thing yet, but mm-hmm. it was, like, Edley's was there and a couple other restaurants, but it, it was probably right before, like, the boom of okay. people moving. Gotcha. Yeah, I always wonder, because I, I sort of missed all that, because I was in school in Arkansas. <laughs> so, yeah. even though I'm from, you know, Nashville, it just, like, ended up being, I just I bet it was like, missed it like shocking in a way to come back to Nashville. Like, you know what? I went through it it's become. Yeah, I went through a phase of being that grouchy Nashvilleian, like a native Nashvilleian where I'm like get out of here. Like what are all you people doing here? I don't know what you why are you here? I really went through like I was I would just be grouchy cuz it take now like you it takes forever to get anywhere. The traffic is terrible. And a lot of that I think is cuz the city wasn't prepared like structurally for all these people. Yeah. But, yeah, I definitely went through a phase of, like, ugh, get out. (laughs) I try not to be like like, that now. I feel like a lot of native Nashvilleians feel that way. I don't think you're alone. (laughs) Well, and you know what is so funny is people now who have been there, you know, through college or whatever and stay, they consider themselves locals. Like, people, and I'm like, 
no, no, no. Like, you know how it is. Everyone gets yeah. their pride about their city if, if it's a touristy place, but I try not yeah, to be yeah. like that. Because I've it's been funny. gone a while, so. If I, like, I, I can't let go of my Florida heritage. Like, the Florida, it stays in your blood, you yes. know? Yes. But if I'm traveling or something and, and they ask me where I'm from, I noticed a shift a couple years ago where I was like, oh, I'm from Nashville. Uh-huh. Oh, wait. I'm from Nashville. <laughs> oh, I guess I am. <laughs> so funny. You know what? My husband and I argue about this. Anytime we go on vacation or anything and people ask us where we're from, he always says Cersei. And at this point, he says it because he knows it drives me crazy. But I'm like, we are not from Cersei. We just happen to live here. <laughs> like, that is not where we're from. And he's like, we own a home there. Like, that is where we're... And I'm like, no. We argue about this every time. So I understand. <laughs> I understand. That's funny. That's funny. <laughs> yeah, it's too much. Okay, so it's interesting that you mentioned you being in ninth grade and just like knowing you're going to be in Nashville because kind of what we are going to talk about today is just life. You know, you get you get this idea and you get this feeling and you think you're going to do this and you have these plans and sometimes, you know, it works out and it's fine. And then there are times where it doesn't. And I think this is such an acute time for people in their 20s and maybe even a little before or maybe even a little after, but really like 18 to maybe 35, I don't know. I feel like it's such a challenging time because we're expected to make so many decisions that affect you know future things and we're kind of just shooting in the dark, it feels like most of the time. And I have certainly yeah. felt this way, whether it's school decisions or decisions on who to marry, which is a huge life thing, or like where to live or what job you want to do or anything like that. I mean, I feel like this is the time where people are making those kinds of decisions. So talk to me about, just jump in wherever you want, right? Because you moved to Nashville and you're a freshman and you're there and you like are like, okay, this is where I wanted to be. Talk me through kind of the process after that, being here or not here, but being in Nashville and like, okay, I made it. Here we are. Uh-huh. So uh, I'll, I'll first add by saying I there is such pressure yes. on young adults in America yes. to make decisions, really big life decisions, at an age that I don't think they were ever meant to make such decisions. I mean, mm-hmm. the fact that at 18 we're expected to decide what we want to spend the next 40 years of our life doing. Oh, I know. That's insane. It's crazy. It really is. <laughs> and it, it has built up a generation of people who are, I think, going to be um, locked in or have been locked into careers where they were not happy and where they weren't satisfied, but it's what they went to school for and it's what they're going to do because yeah. it's what their degree is in or... Yeah. Anyways, it's just interesting to me that that's how, that's how our society is structured. But that's mm-hmm. another conversation for this yeah. time. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. I agree. But for me, so I remember graduating high school and not really having any idea what I wanted to do as far as like my career or, or not really even knowing like what are the things that I'm passionate about and what are the things that bring me joy. And mm. these were things that I just didn't think a lot about. Um, but I knew without a doubt that I was supposed to be in Nashville and it wasn't this like overly like spiritual decision necessarily I just um I remember I remember thinking it was like okay I needed to make a decision there were all these schools to pick from and I needed to decide am I gonna go am I gonna move 12 hours from home and go to school in this place where I don't know anybody Mm -hmm. or am I gonna stay somewhere a little bit closer a little bit safer 
And um, oddly enough, this is so random. <laughs> oddly enough, I uh, my senior year, or maybe my junior year, I can't of, of high school. Um, Tim Tebow. So oh. being from Jacksonville, Tim Tebow is a big deal. Yeah, uh, Florida Gators. You know, so I he came to my school to speak for this fundraising event. And he said a line, and I don't remember the direct quote, but it was something along the lines of, like, sometimes faith is just taking the next step and looking for God along the way. Mm. And, like, trusting that God is going to be in that next step with you. And and it was this moment of, like, oh, I think that's what deciding school will be like for me. Like, I don't think it's going to be this, like, okay, God, I'm waiting for you to, like, close all the other doors and point with gold arrows to the school that I'm supposed to go to. And mm. that might be some people's story. But it, when, when I heard Tim Tebow say that line, it was like, oh, like I think that God will honor and bless whatever decision I make. Mm-hmm. And there's not a wrong decision, you know? Like it, all of these options are good. And, and sort of like God was saying, like, what do you want? What do you desire? And so, mm. um, so that's sort of how I got to – in Nashville and then when I got here I was uh, like undecided I didn't have any clue what I wanted to do I had like I'd always loved kids so I thought I would do something with children but the thought of teaching just wasn't right like that wasn't yeah. for me and so I never explored like becoming an education major and I somewhere along the way took a speech class like the required speech class that every college student takes and I actually really enjoyed it, and I learned that I was pretty good at public speaking and pretty good at speech writing. And so I said, hey, what the heck, I'll major in communications. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, <clears throat> and I did, like, I enjoyed what I studied. I enjoyed uh, I enjoyed the creativity in speech writing, and I enjoyed learning about how effective speeches are written and uh, connecting with people and dabbling in a little bit of, of PR and marketing in that degree. And so I enjoyed that. And throughout college, once I decided that's what I was majoring in, I really had no idea what I was going to do. I think, I think my like dream goal, like dream job then, and maybe still now a little bit would have been to work in the front office of like an NFL team Ooh. and like being on their communications team. Wow. And that just sounded fun and exciting mm-hmm. to me and something I love. Um, <clears throat> and so that was sort of, I was, I didn't have, like, all my hopes and dreams pinned up in that, but that was sort of, like, the direction I was heading. Yeah. And then my junior year happened, and I, long story short, I, uh, I God told me to go to seminary, mm. and that came out of nowhere, um, but God told me to prepare for a life in ministry, and I was very confused and mm. <laughs> had no idea why because in fact I can remember being young maybe six or seven and telling my mom like explicitly telling my mom mom I will never go to school longer than I have to and I will <laughs> never work in ministry <laughs> oh, and I dear. did both of them yeah oh, my goodness. <laughs> it's true what they say never say never oh I know <clears throat> so I so in my junior year I had this vision where God says you're supposed to prepare for a life in ministry 
and I'm like panicking a little bit because mm. I'm a junior. Like I can't change my major now. If I change my major, I'm going to have to stay in school for an extra year. Mm. And what, what do you mean a life in ministry? This is not what I, this is not what I had planned. This is in fact what I said I didn't want to do. <laughs> I did not hear me. Right. <laughs> and so I, I sought some counsel from, you know, at the time I was interning, um, I was interning at Ethos, the church that I now work at, um, on Sunday mornings with their kids' ministry, and I sought counsel from Brooke, our uh, kids director at the time, and I sought counsel from Dr. Kate, one of my professors at Lipscomb, and uh, just began asking the people I trusted, like, what what do you think I should do? This like, is what's what? Happened. <laughs> what do I do? Yeah. And, you know, I called my parents, and um, it, it, so all these people affirmed in me, like, hey, if this is what, if this is what God is calling you towards, like, yes, mm. let's figure out what that looks like. And so through a series of events, I got connected at Lipscomb, where I was in undergrad, and they were uh, launching a new cohort MDiv program. Mm. So it was, it was an expedited MDiv um, with the goal of creating a program that people who were already working in churches could complete. Oh. So there are many people that it takes them five years to finish their MDiv or longer, yeah. honestly. The MDiv is pretty is a pretty um, heavy master's degree. Hmm. And so to be able to finish it in two years is pretty amazing. Um, not by my feet, but just that they've structured the program that way. And so I looked into that to see like what that would look like. And, uh, basically it was, it was going to be the same amount of money, if not cheaper for me to finish my undergrad in communications and then get my MDiv versus changing my major. Wow. And staying an extra year in undergrad. Wow. So all signs pointed to MDiv, and I was like, okay, God. So keep in mind, I was not a Bible major. Yeah. I grew up in the church, and I, I knew the Bible-ish, you know. like. Right. But I graduated on a Saturday, and on Monday, my – seminary courses started because I had to catch up some. They, sure. they essentially let me into the program saying like, Hey, you're behind, like you don't have the leveling work because you weren't a Bible major. Mm. So we need you to spend your last semester of undergrad and the summer before the program starts catching up. Oh wow. And so I sprinkled some Bible classes into my, uh, the last semester of undergrad. And so, um, yeah, that was an adventure. I but should I remember, say. I remember on that summer, that the <clears throat> Monday after I graduated, walking into class, thinking, "What have I done? <laughs> I I know nothing." Oh gosh. Well, but, and that's an interesting that's point because yeah, because you know what's so interesting, and this is kind of, I feel like this is the ebb and flow of being twenty something because. In, in one hand, you knew the path in front of you, right? You knew that MDiv was the thing you needed to do. It was where all, you know, signs were pointing. This is it. I love that you sought wise counsel. I think that's really important, and a lot of people miss that step. So I just want to reiterate that. But I love that in one hand, you know, you were like, okay, well, this is what I'm supposed to do. But in another way, you the path you thought you were doing completely 
essentially like died. I mean, that's a little bit of a dramatic way to say it. But I think I think that's what makes it all so hard because in, in one sense, you have a clear understanding of where you're supposed to go. But in another sense, you have to let go of the plan that you had already thought. So can you talk a little bit about like, how do we deal with that? Because I've certainly yeah. had a lot of those moments as well where it's like, okay, very obviously I'm supposed to go this direction. But also, this is not at all what I thought. This is not how I saw my life going. This is not, you know, where I thought I would be. And you kind of have to deal, like wrestle with the fact that, okay, like I am going in a good direction and I can see that this is where I'm supposed to go, but this is not at all what I thought I was uh-huh. going to do. Like, that's a lot. Yeah, yeah so, you know... uh let me start by saying I think that all people, whether they, they think it or not, I think all people are control freaks. Oh, yes. There, there are some of us that are less controlling than others. Not me. There are some like me who are very good <laughs> and constantly working at it. Same. But we all, even the people that say, like, no, I, I trust God fully, I am not in control, we all dream. And when you dream, you you set up a picture of the way you would like something to go. Mm. And when it doesn't go that way, it's hard. Even yeah. if you even if you're not as controlling as you could be, it's hard to watch a like I mean use use the word die. It's hard to watch a dream die. Yeah. Even if there's a better dream waiting. You know, as you were talking, the phrase that came to mind is when you say when you say yes to something, you're also saying no to something else. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, there's um, this idea that we live in a culture, in a time, in America, in this time, there is this pressure to say yes to everything. Mm-hmm. It's especially, I think, in the, like, Christian Southern yeah. circle. There's this pressure to always say yes and always be there and always be helpful and and yes 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 and the reality is when you say yes to something you're saying no to something else and I think the same applies when when we recognize okay like this is where this is a door that God is clearly open a place that God is clearly calling me to step through and I want to say yes to that but I it also means what am I saying no to yeah and you're right it is hard I mean I think for me, in in the specific moment of, like, my career changing and me deciding to get my MDiv, um, and I don't say this to sound, like, holier than thou, but this is just truly how it happened. It was such a clear, clear vision from God mm. uh, that there was no, there was no way for me to, like, question it at all yeah. or... Um, that just wasn't a possibility. Like I knew there is something here that God is calling me towards and I don't know what it is and I don't know why. And I think Mm. God's a little bit crazy right now for (laughs) calling me in this direction, Yeah. but there's something here and it was like, I was hungry for it. And Mm. so while there were things that had to die in, in this particular uh, circumstance in my life, I think I was far less focused on the things that I was losing because I was so curious and intrigued and um, challenged 
by the thing that God was calling me towards. And that's not the reality for every situation. That's not even the reality for every situation in my life. There have been things that I have had to lay down that have been deeply difficult and, and challenging. And I think what I've seen just for me personally is that we we can't ignore like in those times we can't ignore the things we we have to say no to we need to create Mm. space to mourn that create space to mourn what it is you are stepping away from so that you can step towards whatever god is calling you to Um, especially when both are good things that's good you know that's i think creating space to just recognize that is really important um, yeah, that's yeah, good. It's, it's, not, it's not easy. Well, I feel like people get really caught up in the right and wrong decision. I hear this a lot as a counselor. Like, how do I know? I'm sure you can hear my dog right now trying to get in the door. Um, how do I know if this is the right decision? How do I know if this, like, what if this is the wrong yeah. thing? And I think that's not really even the right perspective because mm-hmm. it's not that it's right or wrong. I don't think that I've ever come upon a huge decision where it's like one's right and one's wrong. Really. I yeah. mean, because I think yeah. mostly... The, the thing I think of the most is when I moved back to Cersei two years ago to be with Clayton, my now husband. At the time, we were dating. And when I first started dating Clayton, I knew within like three weeks that I was going to marry him. And that was the scariest thing in my life because I've never been that way. I've never felt that way. I've always just done my own thing. Like dated some guys, but it was kind of just whatever. And then I started dating Clayton and I knew. And I freaked out because he was in Cersei and I was in Nashville. And it was like, well, one of us is going to have to leave. And I knew it was going to be me. And I had to make the decision to stay or go. And I was giving up my private practice and my niece and nephew and like all my friends. And it was really a really hard decision. And there were people who were like, maybe you shouldn't do this or maybe you should wait until you're engaged before you move your whole life. And like maybe, and I just knew, like I knew. And and it's like you said, you know, you kind of, I had to mourn the fact that I was leaving this life I had created in Nashville and this community and like my niece and nephew and I'd started a practice and I had to mourn that. But I just knew that moving back to Cersei, even though it wasn't what I necessarily wanted, I knew that it's what I needed to do. And I loved Clayton, so it was no brainer in that sense. But like, it wasn't like I was just rip roaring ready to move back to Cersei. You know what I'm saying? But like, I just knew it was right. And I think... A lot of, and, and some of it, I think, is people tend to talk about these types of things in hindsight, right? So, like, you and I are sitting here talking about this stuff when it's already happened and we've already processed. And I think it's easy to say it in a sense of, like, I just knew and God told me and that was that. And it was, you know, yeah. and yeah. now we see all the blessings that came from it. And certainly, you know, and that's great. But I appreciate you saying, like... No, it was hard, and I had to do a lot of grieving, and there was some mourning involved, and I knew it was right, but it didn't mean that it was fun, or like, it it certainly didn't mean that it was easy, and I think that's important, because if not, everybody talks about things in hindsight, and other people, I think, feel left behind, because their experience is not super cute. Yeah, yeah, exactly, you know, two things come to mind as I was listening to you just now. The first is this idea of needing like the right versus the wrong answer or the uh, clear calling from God of this is what I'm supposed to do and this is what I'm not supposed to do. Yeah. And I'm reminded of Moses at the burning bush. And in Exodus, we see this story where Moses has like <laughs> such a clear calling mm-hmm. <laughs> of what he is supposed to do. 
And I think we go through life, like, looking for these burning bushes. Yeah. Everywhere. Absolutely. And, and the reality is, I think, that we rarely get the burning bushes. Yeah, absolutely. And what we what we get more often is if, it, you know, if you, there's a story in the Gospels where Jesus heals uh, Bartimaeus, who is blind, and Jesus asks him, what do you want me to do for you? Mm. And I think more often these crossroads that we find ourselves in of like, what am, what is it that I'm supposed to lay down so I can pick this up or, or what is right or wrong or what is God calling me to do here? But rather than looking for this burning bush moment, I think Jesus is looking at us saying, what do you want? What do you want me yeah. to do for you right here? What do you want in this moment? Mm. And when you think of it from that perspective, it changes everything. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and I do think, going back to what you said earlier, I think there's a lot of pressure on 20-somethings to know. And I don't know why. I mean, I certainly felt it and still do sometimes, you know, but I don't know what that's about. I guess it's the insecurity of going from living in a household with your parents where essentially they decide things for you and tell you things, and then all of a sudden you're launched into this world where you're supposed to just know. And I think that is really hard. And I think, you know, not to discredit, it's a real feeling that, you know, there's this pressure of figuring it out and knowing what you're supposed to do. And if you make the, quote, wrong decision, it feels like your life will be over, right? Because if you put it in the frame of, like, if I choose the wrong major, you know, am I going to have to be stuck in a job for 45 years that I hate? Which is not really a reality for our generation, I would say, anymore. No, it's not. But, you know, and you don't want to let your parents down. You don't want to let your, you know, and certainly there are decisions that are massive, like picking a mate or, you know, picking a place to live. But I don't know. I do think there's this, it's an acute time of pressure and also like figuring out who you are. Because honestly, at this point, if I could go back and do my major differently, I would. I mean, I'm not saying I don't love being a counselor. There are days where I don't. But I enjoy helping people, but it's not what I would have chosen. And I think... I don't regret it, you know, and certainly I'm, I'm making the most of it, but I think, I don't know. It's just hard. I just have such a like tender spot in my heart for people around this age because I felt like I was floundering. <laughs> I just did not oh. know. I just did not know. Uh-huh. It's crazy. It's funny. I, I, uh, I was, I spoke at a high school commencement, uh, back in May and I was watching, I was sitting on stage and I was watching all the graduates file in and I was sitting there thinking, they just don't know. Yeah. They, they just don't know. Yeah. And it, there was this moment of like, okay, but it's, they're going to learn yeah. and Absolutely. it's going to, some they'll learn the hard way and hopefully some will learn the easy way. And, but we've all been there, right? We've mm-hmm. all floundered. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, and I think it's useful too. I do this a lot with my clients and I was thinking my, my little sister and her husband are about to buy a house, which is crazy to me to think about because I just imagine her being 12 forever. But anyways, they're about to buy a house and she was like, Allison, what if it's the wrong time? Like, what if it's the wrong decision? What if it's the wrong house? And I was like, Katie, what if it is? Like, what if it is? Say, play this out for me. Like, what if this is quote the wrong decision? Because I think we can get really caught up in what we idealize, if that's a word, as the wrong decision, right? So if I do this quote wrong, then it's going to end in this big thing that we've orchestrated in our head. And a lot of times it's not even close to that. 
Because I, I was like, Katie, play it out. What's what's going to happen? If you if this is the wrong house, she was like, well, we'll just live here for a couple of years and then we'll move. And I'm like, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> like, the world will not stop spinning. Nothing has happened, you know. And I think as 20-somethings, that's hard because we just, we have all this pressure and we have all this stuff in our head and we imagine that if we make the wrong decision that the world will end, you know, and I think more times than not, the quote, worst thing that could happen ends up being not even that big of a deal. Yeah, exactly. But it feels like it, certainly. It's funny that, it's funny that you say that because my counselor has done that exercise with me before. Yeah, (laughs) it's real. It's really real because normally, normally the thing that we're afraid of is more powerful than the actual thing itself. Like I've yeah, certainly, yeah, like I've certainly done things that maybe weren't the best decision and I had to pay for it later, but it still was fine and I learned. Yeah. So yeah. I don't know. I think, <laughs> I think we do that not just in our twenties, but I just think in general we, people do yeah. that. Oh, I think that happens <laughs> so forever. Oh my gosh. I know. <laughs> so what do you think? You may have already said it, but what do you think has been the thing that helped you the most through like just kind of figuring out life. And I know we are all still figuring it out, but like, what do you think has helped you the most? I know you said you sought wise counsel. I'm a big seeker as well. I'm an external processor, but I'm also very, like I have to journal and I have to spend quiet time. And I know those things for me are paramount to me being the best person I can be. So what do you think is good for you? Mm-hmm. Well, so specifically in, in this season of my life that we're sort of talking about it, de- deciding to go to seminary, I uh, started counseling for the first time. Oh, nice. And that was just another, like, branch of wise counsel to mm-hmm. add to my to uh, my processing and coping. And, um, yeah, so counseling was helpful. Yeah. Um, then the other thing, the other practice I started around the same time was spiritual direction. Mm-hmm. And so spiritual direction, I was actually thinking about this this morning. It's the, it's the maybe only discipline that has been consistent over the course, like since I started doing it, I haven't stopped. Mm. And, um, I've, I, you know, I ebb and flow with other disciplines at other times and, uh, but spiritual direction has been just a really, and, and was then a really helpful tool for navigating these changes. Um, both in my career, but then also spiritually, like I had never really had this, like, like a, a vision or a calling from God, like that moment. And so even just processing that, yeah. of like, Oh, this is what it can look like to commune with God. Yeah. Um, and so spiritual direction, in case, um, some people aren't familiar with what it is. It's basically the practice of, of sitting down with a director who is trained to help you see and experience God in your life. Mm-hmm. And so, um, for example, I, I saw my director this week, and it, she has an ability and a training to listen really well, not only to me, but also to the Spirit and to ways in which God may be trying to connect with me that I'm missing. Or mm-hmm. I think sometimes like we're so close to the experiences because like we're living in them. Yeah. And when you take 50 minutes and someone gets to point it out in you or invite you to see it too, yeah. 
it's like, oh, I didn't even realize that that's how much love God had for me in that moment because mm-hmm. I was so close to it and I didn't see. And right. So that has been another, I would say those are the two most tangible practices and coping mechanisms that helped me not only through that season of life, but ha- have continued to help me. Yeah. Uh, so. I love that. And I want to make a point too, that I, I love that over and over we keep bringing up like reach out, like seek out somebody. And I think, I think I did that, but I wish I would have done that more, you know, cause I'm almost done with my twenties at this point, but I, I mean, certainly I'm still going through things and still need guidance, but I think I wish I would have reached out to more older people specifically, somebody who, you know, was trained or did have more guidance that they could give me. And I also want to say just as a counselor and also a previous client, I've been a client before you can always find a different therapist. Like, seek out the right therapist for you. Seek out the right spiritual director for you. If you feel weird about it or if it's not a good fit, there's always more. I just want to say that because I have, mm-hmm. I have people all the time who don't know that they can they have a choice in that. And I'm <laughs> yeah. like, yes, you have a choice. So anyways, just wanted to make that clear. But yeah, I love that. I love that the wisdom in seeking out, like, not just friends, but people who can guide you that are maybe a step ahead of you, I think is really important. Mm-hmm, I love that. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe the the most important. Yeah. Because I think, at least in my experiences, that it has been where God has has spoken through those people to provide me comfort and love and peace and direction yeah. and. Um, so, yeah, I agree. I think it's really important. And and I'll also add, you know, I think not only is there this pressure for, for 20-somethings, and, and maybe beyond, I don't think it's bound just to 20-somethings, but to have, have it all figured out, know exactly yeah. what you're doing, um, success-oriented, goal-driven, and I think what that also has done has created this pressure that you can't look like you don't have it all together. Yeah. And so... Most 20-somethings, I don't know if I can say that. I don't have a statistic, but I feel like in my circle, most 20-somethings don't see a counselor Mm -hmm. and would never consider it Yeah, because it's it's a sign of, well, I don't have it all together. Yeah. And so I feel like I'm constantly walking around telling people, like, you know it's okay if you don't have it all together. Right. Actually, nobody does. Zero people people do. Yes. Which is probably worse. If you're good at hiding it, then you might have a bigger problem. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. Yeah, that's good. That's good. I'm a little too close to the subject. I, to me, it's crazy that people still think it's not okay to see a counselor. I just can't wrap my head around that because I'm just too entrenched, but it's real. I know. Very real. People tell me that and I'm like, why are we still there? I don't get that. I mean, I, I totally get it, but also I'm like people, let's just move on from that. Really. It's time. There's a moment where they have to acknowledge to somebody else, I'm not doing okay. Yeah. And that manifests as failure. Mm-hmm. And so that's what the, the stigma is. Yeah. I think the stigma is less, I think at one point, maybe the stigma was, a, as far as counseling was concerned, was around mental health. And there's still a stigma around mental health. But I think now more of at least what I see the stigma around counseling is I have to admit that I I can't do it on my own yeah 
Which I think goes back to being, I mean, if you ask me, I think it's a spiritual, I think that's a spiritual thing as much as anything, just because. Oh, yeah. And we could, you know, and I think that's an ailment for all people, not just the 20s, like you said, but I, I don't know. It's so fascinating to me because it's, it's for me too. I feel that same way too. You know, I don't, for me, it's not counseling because whatever, but it's in other areas. Like if I don't fix you know, if I'm, if I'm stressed all the time and I can't figure out how to fix that, then I feel like I'm a failure, you know? So it, it plays out in other areas in my life for yeah. me, not just in counseling, but I do think that's something that all humankind probably will struggle with forever. It's just this need to like make it right and like make, make things how the, I don't know. Together. Yeah. It's so interesting. It's so interesting. So what would you say? I think I, I thought a lot about this. What would you say to like a 20 something right now? If they're in the midst of orchestrating things or trying to figure something out or feeling totally lost or like totally unsure if they're doing the right things, quote, right things. What would you say to them or what would you do? Hmm. Tell them to take a deep breath. Yeah. Tell them to notice the flowers outside, to take a walk, to bake cookies, to read a book just calm down yeah absolutely and I, and I don't say that insensitively um I, I say that as I don't know that that I don't know that the pressure is ever going to go away yeah what has to change is how we internalize that pressure yeah and that's that's going to take time mm-hmm. it's going to take work um and so I think I would tell 20 somethings what I do tell somebody something is what I tell myself is deep breaths, notice, have a sense of awareness, notice the things that bring you joy and chase after those things. Yeah. Uh, because I think that, that those, those things that bring us deep joy are, have been a part of us mm-hmm. since we were created and are deeply connected with the ways in which we can connect with God. Yeah. And I say that, and even even as I say it, it's like, okay, that, that gets really hard when my friend is in a career that she absolutely hates and joy, she finds joy somewhere else. So for her to find joy, she's got to figure out how to quit her job. And mm-hmm. I realize there's some risk involved or at least there can be. And so it's a lot easier to say, to say than it is to do. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I mean, and you're not alone. You're yeah. not alone. Oh my gosh. I remember like the year after graduating college, um, just being a really difficult year. It was a little bit disorienting. Um, not only was I going through the like transition of, okay, I'm not in college anymore and I'm working full time and, what am I doing? But I was also in grad school and it was just, Mm -hmm. it was exhausting. It was disorienting. It was terrifying in some ways and nobody talked about it. Yeah. And it wasn't until probably like a year and a half, maybe two years after I graduated where one day I mentioned it to a friend like, Hey, the past year was really hard for me and I've really struggled and I haven't told anybody. And before I knew it, we were like both crying about how hard the year had been. Mm. And then I talked to somebody else and then another person, and another person. And every person that I talked to said the same thing, that the year after graduating was really tough, Mm -hmm. and that they they felt alone. And so I think, 
I would tell 20 somethings, you're not alone. Like whatever it is, whatever it is you're going through, you're not alone. And I think isolation is a very powerful tool of the enemy in the sense that isolation makes us feel very disconnected from the people around us. It makes us feel disconnected from ourselves. It makes us feel like we've gone crazy a little bit. Like what's wrong with me? Like why is nobody else struggling with this or feeling this way? Mm -hmm. When the reality is that's not the case. So I feel like I'm constantly reminding myself, you're not alone. Like whatever it is you're going through, you're not alone. And you might have to work a little bit harder to find the community of people that can meet that need and remind you that you're not alone, but you're not alone. Yeah, that's good. I love that your reminder is experiential and it's also not a solution, right? Like I think, I think when you're stuck in the spot, you want someone to tell you what the right thing is. But I think now having been slightly removed from it, we can both say like, like I think my my thing that I would say is I just would want to give them a hug. Like I just want to give you a hug because yes. it's okay. And I know it doesn't feel like it's okay and you want the answers and you want to know what you're supposed to do and where to go next. But I love right. that like really the true solution is to breathe and to rest and to seek and to you know, like you said, bake cookies and go outside. And, um, Anne Lamott is one of my absolute favorite authors ever. She's the best. Um, but I love how she says almost everything works again. If you just unplug it, including yourself. And (laughs) I just think that's brilliant. And it's so good. And I'm sure I didn't say that exactly how she said it, but, and one of my mentors always said, if you don't know what to do, don't do anything. And that feels very counter, you know, but I think when we make decisions out of a frantic desperation of, am I okay? Or do I, am I a failure? Then you're not going to make a great decision. But if you rest and you stop and you breathe and you seek wise counsel, I think that's where our best stuff comes from. And that's true for everyone, not just when you're twenties. Yes. Oh, a hundred percent. I love it. I think if you can figure it out in your twenties. Yes. You're better off. You're better off. <laughs> but um, also, I'm I'm going to be 29 this year, and I'm still figuring that part out. So, you know. For sure. It for is sure. what it is. But if you can get the general guideline down of like, yeah. oh, I can, I can stop, and I can breathe, and yeah. I can seek wise counsel, then you're a step ahead. Yes. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. I agree. I yeah. love it. Well, Carly, I always ask my people. What's nourishing you now? And this can be anything in all the land. It can be chapstick or salsa or the sunshine or Florida, whatever you Mm. think. That's a great question. I love thinking about stuff like this. Um, What is nourishing me now? I think that this is going to sound weird, but uh, bear with me. (laughs) (laughs) So I I think I am like, I suffer from severe overindulging in mm. everything. So, like, everything is nourishing to me. Like, <laughs> sometimes a run, sometimes a book, sometimes coffee, sometimes wine, sometimes crackers, sometimes lettuce. Like, That's everything hilarious. is nourishing. And so, I, what, I, what I've been working on paying attention to um, is listening to my body mm. and listening to my heart and and trying to pay attention to what I actually need in the moment and that is what's nourishing right that's good and so so for me uh, like some of those things are reading a book like I love to read oh my goodness I finished this morning uh, the body keeps the score oh it's so good 
So good. And so I love to read. And sometimes that is what I need. And that is nourishing. Other times I need to get outside. I need to go for a run. I need to go for a walk. Um, Sometimes I need to go have coffee with a friend. Sometimes I need to cook a really yummy dinner. Uh, And so just trying to, I think really what is nourishing to me right now is is when I listen to myself well and I actually do the thing that is nourishing. Mm, that's really because good. Because all, all of the things can be nourishing to me. Yeah. What's your Enneagram number? Do you know? Yes, I am an eight. <gasps> oh, that is yes. so interesting. I was wondering yeah. if that had anything to do with Enneagram-ish things. Um, maybe I a little know. bit of like... So I think I have both wings and... So the seven wing brings in a little piece of yeah. that, like, overindulging. Like, everything is good. I want more. Give it all. You know? Yeah. And so maybe it's a little bit of that. I'm not sure. Um, but I, I've actually just become aware of it probably six months ago that it's, like, a, a very present thing in my life that I'm trying I to work that. on. That's but, so, so yeah, so I think just listening to, like, like, what do I actually need right now? Like, what will nourish me holistically right yeah. now? That's and, really good. And it's good when I when I get it right, and a lot of times I don't. Well, sure. It's a discipline. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So, yeah. Well, Carly, this was so fun. I'm so glad that we got to chat, and I think you have a lot of wisdom to share, and I'm super pumped for people to hear it because I just really respect you, and I think, I don't know, I just love that you're willing to open your heart and talk about things that have been hard and good and, and kind of just the way to follow the path in front of you. And I think you said it at the very beginning, but really just following the very next step. You know, I think that's in any, I think that's all that any of us are supposed to do really is just follow the very, very next step. And I have to remind myself that a lot, but I think that's really good. Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. Thanks so much for having me. This has been a blast.